Louise Cooney's Open Book, a Go Loud original podcast. I'm Louise Cooney and this is my brand new podcast, Open Book, where each week I sit down with well-known personalities for honest conversations about life and the stories that shape it. I really hope you've been enjoying the series so far. My guest this week is Irish crime author Andrea Mara, who chats about finding writing after redundancy, why comparison is a thief of joy and how hide and seek can go deadly. I really hope you enjoy this one. She gives so many good book recommendations, which are all listed in the description. And let me know what you think. What part of Limerick are you from? Um, the city, just outside the city. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you know my, my dad's from Limerick, oh, so, but he's so from much, yeah. tiny little village like on the border um, with Tipperary. It's Galbally, which is near oh, yeah. like the Galtee Mountains. Oh, yeah. So. My parents are from Tipperary. Oh, okay. From Chiptown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like in a way, Galbally is like a world away from Limerick City. Yeah. And like even growing up, we always went to Galbally and stayed in my grandmother's house, but we would never have gone into Limerick. I kind I know. of don't know why, but they were just really like, they lived in the village and the big trip was to go to like Ballylanders, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so welcome back to Open Book. I'm so excited today. We have Andrea Mara here, who is an amazing crime writer. She is a Sunday Times and Irish Times top 10 best-selling author. She's been shortlisted for a number of awards, including Irish Crime Novel of the Year, she lives in Dublin with her husband and her three children and also runs a multi-award winning parent and lifestyle blog, officemum.ie. She's here today and we're going to chat about her fifth book, which I've read called Hide and Seek. I have absolutely loved it and I love your books. Thrillers are just my go-to if I want a book that I just can't put down. So congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I know you're so busy promoting this book. It's available in Ireland and the UK now in Every bookshop. That's right. I've seen it on many shop fronts, so it must be so exciting. It is. Like, it never gets old. Like, if you walk past the window and see your own book in the window or your own book inside on a bookshelf, it's still so exciting and such a novelty every time. So I'm delighted seeing it everywhere. Yeah, amazing. Well, we're going to get kickstart with some quick fire questions today, which you don't know Mm -hmm. what these are. So it's kind of going to be answering them on the spot. Just honestly, whatever comes into your head first. I love these because it's just (laughs) an easy way to kind of get to know a little bit more about your style, what you like to read, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Okay. So first, what's your favourite type of literature? Crime. Yeah, I mean, like I've always loved crime since I was a kid, mm. reading The Famous Five. And like, I don't only read crime, but crime is my go to yeah. like you. Are you book smart or street smart? Oh, book smart, definitely not street smart. I'm hoping one day when I grow up to be street smart, but it hasn't happened yet. I love that. Do you read series or singles? Singles mostly. Yeah, I like if if I read a book, I'm always delighted if I know there's another one in the series, but I'm more so go for standalone. And that's kind of what you write as well. Mm, yeah, you, yeah. Do you think you'd ever be enticed to write series? I don't know. I think uh, you could never say never to anything. But at the moment, I like having new characters each time and a completely different story each time. Mm-hmm. And I think for a series, you kind of have to have a detective or maybe a journalist or mm-hmm. somebody who keeps encountering crime. Mm. And like if your main character, uh, like in, in this book, my main character is a psychotherapist. So she's, you know, solving her own mystery here, but she's unlikely to come across many, many mysteries to solve um, in a kind of a Jessica Fletcher way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easier to write standalones. You are the queen of Irish crime writing. In my eyes, anyway, I think you're amazing at what you do. Is there other things that you read? Are there other genres people would be surprised to find in your bookshelf? I like, I will read absolutely anything. Um, I love 
book club fiction, as it's called, you know, like I'm in a book club and we tend to go for those typical books that will get people talking like American Dirt mm-hmm. and Crawdads and The Push and just books that have a bit of discussion in them as opposed to being mostly for entertainment. And I love anything funny. I love the Ashling books. I love Sophie White's books. Um, I really, really enjoyed um, Book Lovers by Emily Henry recently. Oh, yeah, that's new. Yeah, yeah. Really, really it's on good. My list. Really good. I think you really like them. And I, I'll read historical. I'll read women's fiction. I'll read anything really. So, um, yeah, anything at all. And what's on your nightstand currently? I'm reading a book called uh, Breaking by Amanda Casty. So mm-hmm. she's. Um, a new author whose book is coming out in October. So I read an early draft of it because I know Amanda anyway. And now I'm reading kind of the final version before it's published. And it's really, really good. I think you'll really like it, actually. What's it about? So it's about um, a mom who is on holidays in Florida and she's sitting in a bar having a few drinks and her child goes missing. So it's a missing child story, Mm. but it's got this extra layer because everybody is asking, well, what was she doing sitting in a bar having a few drinks when she should have been watching her child? Mm. So it's got all that piece on judgment and motherhood and all that kind of stuff too but it's really beautifully written she's a stunning writer kind of reminds me of the Madeleine McCann story which yeah. would just haunt us for the yeah. rest of our lives yeah. but in your book Hide and Seek Lily goes goes missing Mm-hmm. yeah and poor Mary wasn't drinking now when Lily went missing mm. she was actually standing on the green watching her but she still went missing Um. so yeah like in the book the, the missing child happens 33 years ago and um, so it's a game of hide and seek and the children are all playing away as children do and at the end of the game all the kids are going home for lunch except one child Lily hasn't been found she's only three years old so her mother searches frantically for her everybody joins in police are called but no one ever finds her and that is the mystery of the book Yeah, parents' worst nightmare mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I believe the story, the name of the book is close to your heart, something you kind of experienced. Yeah, so it was inspired by my son, who very kindly keeps inspiring books by doing things (laughs) that put the heart crossways on me. So yeah, I was picking up my two daughters from school one day and Matthew, my youngest, he was three at the time and he wanted to play with some of the other younger kids in the yard. And I tended to say no because it was just so busy and it was easier to hold on to him. And I kind of thought, okay, I need to let him go, give him a bit Mm -hmm. of freedom, stop being a helicopter parent. So I told him he could go play and then a few minutes later I see so they're playing hide and seek I see the other children leaving with their parents and I'm kind of going guys uh, you, you have to find my son like this is the game the kids have to find the kids and I, I just remember having the strongest sense that they were the ones the only ones capable of finding him that mm-hmm. children almost have a kind of a magic where they could find each other in a game of hide and seek mm. in a way that adults wouldn't necessarily be able to do but obviously I couldn't call them back so I just started searching for him myself and there was a group of about 15 of us adults and children searching all over the schoolyard and there was building work going on behind the school at the time so I just kept picturing like cement mixers and foundations and all sorts of awful things and then suddenly there he was standing beside me smiling 
And I've no idea where he was. I'd say he was just running place to place and delighted with himself and no idea because he was only three how terrified I was at the time. But the good thing is, um, as well as the fact that he came back, <laughs> it gave me the idea for the book. Well, the silver lining is, yes, you got the, a great <laughs> book out of it. But uh, is he a good reader now? He is. He's he like I feed him books yeah. like drugs. So he loves um, there's an American writer called Rick Reardon who writes books about they, they incorporate present day and say Greek mythology, Norse mythology. Um, the one he's reading at the moment is Egyptian mythology and he has been reading them book after book for months and months now and he absolutely loves them so it's great he can, just, he can read in the car <laughs> he reads in restaurants if we go out for dinner and just keeps him nice and oh, quiet so he's, while not, he's not one of those kids holding an iPad in front of him No, I mean that like I get it why you know I, I, I know, know why, why parents give their kids iPads when they go out because you just want a little bit of peace, peace and, quiet. and quiet but happily yeah. for us for now anyway because he doesn't yet have a phone or TikTok um, he is still reading which is good How old is he? He's 10 now so oh. you know he's, he's only a few years off yeah. the inevitable phone and you know Snapchat know, and TikTok yeah. and all of that but you can't turn back the tide and I think if you can give your kids the habit of reading and get them to 11 or 12 as readers I think they'll always come back to it even if they drift away as teenagers yeah, exactly like I work online for my job and I love being online. I love social media. I think it's so much fun. But I also love books for just mm. switching off, you know, mm -hmm. completely escaping and not being able to do anything else at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's hard. Like, I know I have to put my phone away. If I want to sit down and read properly, I have to just put my phone mm -hmm. aside because it is such a distraction. And I think also for people, lots of people would say to me that they've stopped reading. It could be because um, they started driving to work and weren't commuting on a bus mm. anymore. So they weren't reading on their commute or a lot of people when they have kids and they're really tired with small babies, they stop reading. And I think for people who want to get back to reading and are saying, oh, I wish I could get back to reading, you nearly have to train yourself back into it. Mm. So you have to kind of go... I'm going to put away my phone mm -hmm. and sit down and I'm going to read for 30 minutes uninterrupted and sort of build back up and, and do it in a very deliberate way. Otherwise, it can be quite hard mm -hmm. with so many distractions that we have today. Yeah. Audible is great for that as well if you're someone who drives a lot. Mm, I like, love Audible. You know. Yeah, like I only started listening to audiobooks two or three years ago, but I really like now always having an audiobook on the go as well as a mm -hmm. book book um, for, you know, walks, dog walks, school run, driving, anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, speaking of your your um, little boy who's very into reading, what's your first memory of books? Um, it's the Naughty Books by Enid Blyton. So <sighs> that was the first thing that came to head when I to my head when I thought about it. And I remember my dad buying them when I was really small, and like the really colourful pictures mm. and like the stories were so basic, really. But that's they're just the very first books I remember. And Aesop's Fables, yeah. and you know all those we like little, about that yeah, recently, yeah, yeah, loved those books. And you know whenever you see people sharing the covers of old books yes. online now, and it's always such a oh my god I remember those and mm -hmm. Chicken Licken and Little Red Riding Hood and all those were they the Ladybird books that's right yes yeah. oh yeah. my god yeah. Um, so yeah those, those would be the first ones they I remember they bring you straight back mm -hmm. 
And was there a character growing up that you kind of aspired to be like or you thought you were like? Yes, I loved George from The Famous Five and we used to, I used to go back to my friend Deirdre's house after school on a Friday and The Famous Five was on TV at three o'clock, I think, every Friday. And for a start, I couldn't understand how we would rush home from school and only barely be in the house and the credits were already, the opening credits were already (sighs) rolling. And I was thinking, like, how are they getting home from their school quickly enough Mm. to get on set? and act in the famous five and like I had no idea it was filmed I think it was filmed in the 70s actually but I thought it was live TV because I was very small and then we used to play the famous five after watching it and I always wanted to be George to the point that I got my hair cut really really short like a boy one time just to be like George from the famous five so yeah that's who I wanted to be Oh my god that's so funny I know you didn't always work in writing you weren't always an author you used to work in financial services which is very different to this and then you had a blog for a number of years and then you came into the writing isn't that right? Yeah so exactly that Um, I was very happy in financial services Mm. and planned to be there for the rest of my career and then um, as often is the case with big banks they decided to shut down the Irish branch Mm. move the business to Luxembourg and we were all given the option to move to Luxembourg or India or take redundancy so um, I don't think my husband or kids would have been happy with the idea of moving country so Mm. I took the redundancy but I had started blogging um, a little bit before that when I went back to work after my third Mm. maternity leave about you know, just being in work every day and going, oh my God, how is everyone doing this? This is really hard. Three kids in childcare and working full time and I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Mm. So I was trying to look for maybe Facebook groups or some sort of forum where I could discuss this with other mm-hmm. people and I, I was like, I cannot be the only one finding this difficult. And then I couldn't find anywhere to talk about it. So I just thought maybe I'll try writing a blog. Mm-hmm. And then it became like therapy. So I used to come home from work um, and get the kids down and everything and just sit down and just get it all down onto the laptop and then feel a bit better. And then two days later, write about something else and feel a bit better. Mm. So that's kind of how it all evolved. So um, yeah, the as you were saying earlier, the blog was called Office Mum and then when we were made redundant I was like okay it's really annoying to lose my job and not know what to do with my future but also I called my blog Office Mum and now I don't work in an office anymore so Mm. I remember being really annoyed irrationally about that Um, but I kind of morphed then from blogging into freelance writing for Mm -hmm. newspapers and magazines and I said okay I'll give this a go for six months and see if I can do this instead of going back to financial services. Mm-hmm. So that was seven years ago. Um, and the the freelance writing then morphed into fiction writing. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's You're pretty much all I'm doing now. Building up those blocks every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you still blog? Very rarely. Like mm. I, I have a Facebook page that in a way I, I think that has become the blog of mm. sorts and I think blogging has changed a lot in the last few years yeah. like you know nine years ago when I started for example there was a, there was blog awards every year there was mm-hmm. a huge big community of bloggers in Ireland we had a parenting blogging community and I met lots of people through that who I went on to meet in real life who mm-hmm. are still friends today and we were all blogging all over the place and mm-hmm. I feel like it's really moved on to Instagram now mm-hmm. and 
the the text is right there on the social media so nobody's really clicking through to links to websites anymore and I think that's okay it's easier to just write it there and then on Facebook and Instagram than to to do up a big post and hope people will click through I've totally felt that as well like I used to have a blog that's where I started I think it was Ah, eight years ago and I just saw over time how much has changed it's Mm -hmm. all about video and Mm -hmm. it's just changed completely but like there is always a place for for more words than what you can read. Yeah. I think it's, you have to just give it to people where they can, where they'll consume it. Like, exactly, you know. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah. yeah. But um, when you read back on those blogs now, do you think, wow, how did I do it? Are you like much happier in your position now? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely much happier now. I feel really, really lucky because mm. I can write in the morning while my kids are at school yeah. and then I can pick them up from school and, you know, okay, supervising homework and making dinners isn't actually that much fun, mm. but I do feel very privileged that I can be there to do that with them because I remember how hard it was worrying about being away from them the whole time. Um, so I'm... I do feel very lucky and yeah, I do read back and kind of go, my God, that was hard. But it is hard. Like when I started blogging, my kids were um, one, three and five. Mm. So no matter what anyone is doing at that stage, it is hard whether you're working full time or at home. Mm -hmm. I mean, being at home with kids who are one, three and five full time is really, really hard as Mm. well. So I think no matter what, you're just going to look back on something like that and go, ah, how did I do it? I know with like since COVID, it's definitely a little bit more hybrid anyway and you have people probably working at home but how do you work at home even with you know kids that age like it must be so difficult yeah and then and finding childminders as well it's yeah, like so yeah. hard at the moment that's it and like my kids are old enough now my husband and I can work from home and the kids will you know I mean they're probably somewhere on a device yeah. uh, hoping we won't catch them <laughs> but they will you know, work away at whatever they're doing mm. and leave us to work away. They don't need constant supervision. But thinking of anybody who was trying to mind a two-year-old mm-hmm. and work full-time during lockdown, I just, I can't even imagine trying to do that. In the story of your life, what book has been your greatest teacher? Um, I think that a book that really taught me a lot was um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which okay. I would really recommend to anyone doing anything creative. It's a really, really good book. So she, she's a writer and it's kind of skewed towards people who are writing, but it's really for anybody doing anything mm-hmm. creative. And there's so many takeaways. You know a book that you end up putting little stickies in and underlining things because there's so mm-hmm. many things on every page that you're thinking, oh my God, yes, that makes so much sense. That's so true. And the thing I always remember most from it is she said, to succeed at anything creative, there are three main elements and they are talent, luck, and discipline. And she said, you you can't really, con- you can control talent to some extent, but there's innate talent and then you work really hard in it. But, you know, if if, if someone doesn't have talent at all, it's, it's, you're starting from a different mm-hmm. place. It's harder to work on that. Luck, obviously, you can try to put yourself in the right place at the right time, but luck by definition isn't something we can control. So she said, the only thing you can really control is discipline. Mm-hmm. And I loved hearing that because I'm a really disciplined person. So it was almost like she was telling me what I wanted to hear, which is mm-hmm. just keep going. Like the discipline is a good thing and, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So I always keep that in mind. That was something I really, really took from her book. Yeah, I think when when you're prepared and when you're working hard, and you're met with an opportunity, we could call that luck, then you're ready, you know, then you're mm-hmm. going to be successful. I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Do you think you met luck on, like on some way along your story or in your journey? Like, I guess you, 
you make decisions that you hope are the right decisions and that will bring you to the right place that, uh-huh. that you, yeah, that you can meet the luck along yeah. the way. Yeah. And your own, any decision you make, you can only ever make it based on the information you have. Mm-hmm. And you, I suppose you go, well, it might not be the right decision, but if I'm doing it for the right reasons, then you have to hope that it will turn out OK. And mm-hmm. I think that's all you can do. And what's been the biggest plot twist in your story so far? Well, probably the redundancy mm. because it was such a shock at the time. And I I took it ridiculously personally as well. Like the team I worked with were all really stoic about it and really grown up. And I was like at home crying because I couldn't believe I was losing my job. But I had been, I was very attached to my job and my identity. I'd been there 17 years and that's who I was. And I, you know, of course, in any given financial services industry uh, firm you are you are really just a number on a spreadsheet so no matter how long you've worked there or how valued you are if a company decides to close an office then you're gone Mm -hmm. and that's how it is and I think I had forgotten that because I had been there for a long time and I really liked my job so it was a huge shock and it's kind of yeah it is kind of cool the way it all worked out for the best and Mm -hmm. like my um, sort of journey, that word, uh, journey into writing, it kind of started with a tweet where someone had tweeted about a baby group. um, um, And I was on Twitter at the time and my youngest was a tiny baby. And I was like, oh my God, a baby group on Facebook? I didn't know such a thing existed. I'd only just got a smartphone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I need to go find this group. And I asked her about it and she told me the details, went and joined the group. And then it was a place where there was, it was a private group, loads of discussion about babies and breastfeeding and weaning and all sorts of things. But it was every now and then like debates would break out. And I found myself somehow falling into a kind of a, a not a real moderator, not an official moderator, but a, a diplomat who would like kind of end up replying to people going you know, I think you you have a valid point there and she's trying to say this and sort of enjoying the writing, the peacemaking writing of being in the group mm-hmm. and enjoying like writing quite long posts in there. And then that kind of morphed into the blogging and then the blogging into everything else. So I kind of think back and go, wow, that tweet sort of changed everything for me. So that might be my, my plot twist in my life. And it was writing something you always wanted to do at the back of your mind? Was it some, was reading something you always loved? Always loved reading and always had stories rattling around in my head, but figured that writing a book was too hard and that I just, that, you know, I'd have a, a plot, but I'd like think that there's no way I could make a full book out of that plot because it does seem mm. very daunting when you think mm-hmm. about it. Um, so I wasn't someone who was, say, like writing short stories or writing fiction of any kind between finishing secondary school and starting writing my first book. I had written nothing fictional in between. So it's probably more about the stories that were in my head than anything else. Mm, that's cool. Your children are probably very lucky with their bedtime stories. <laughs> But speaking of the groups where you can learn so much, like these baby groups, these mom groups mm-hmm. on Facebook and blogs, do you think there's anything in life that you can't learn from books or from Facebook forums? <laughs> so one of the things I think, and it's maybe specific to writing, but it's also probably valid for all of us is about comparing and not comparing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really hard not to compare. Yeah. And I think in writing in particular, um, it's a very public 
accounting system in that we can all see who's number one in the charts this week and how many books they sold in Ireland or how many books they sold in the UK. And you can see who's winning prizes and who's got this, mm-hmm. you know, book of the month or who's got this great review. So like in my old job, people would get promoted. But other than that, you wouldn't necessarily have a really clear idea of how people were doing in their job. But I think writing it lends itself to everybody kind of knowing yeah. how everybody's getting on. And of course, there's all the social media and, you know, you, part of your job as a writer is to tell people when good news happens and, and broadcast it. So it's quite hard not to compare. And like, you know, the way I see it is comparison is the thief of joy and we have to do everything we can not to compare, even mm. though it's quite hard to take your own advice sometimes. So that that would be for me the main thing I have to remind myself all the time just to try to focus on what you're doing yourself. And I think also it's possible to be genuinely really happy for something that someone else has achieved, but also going, I wish I could have that too. And I think that's okay. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you're... Um, you're jealous or wishing them ill in any way you're happy for them but kind of aspiring for the same thing for yourself yeah I think sometimes you know you can take comparison and make it constructive by saying okay I'm going to use this as a motivator for what Mm -hmm. I want Mm -hmm. but I'm with you on that like I definitely fall into traps of comparing myself and I work in social media too but I also am working on a million other things and Mm -hmm. that's the thing it's like we all have different things we're working on we all have different things going on behind the scene So I I try and stay in my lane, but even talking about and saying it out loud, I think it it reminds me, okay, I'm not the only one who does that. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, if you were to look at at like a 2D version of anything, you would Mm -hmm. probably get the wrong idea, you know, or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And someone said to me once, like, don't compare your inside to someone else's outside Mm. because you don't know what's going on inside someone's head or in the background or everything else that they're doing. We can all only see, you know, the stats in the charts or the social media or whatever it is, but it doesn't mean we know what's really going Mm -hmm. on with people. Speaking of this, not necessarily of comparison, but people you admire, if, if there was a leaf you could take out of anyone else's book, who would it be and what would it be? Um, I would, I really admire Jo Spain. Um, So Jo Spain, who is one of our top crime writers, but also a screenwriter. So all the other crime writers were there writing one book a year, thinking Mm. we're doing well doing one book a year. Jo Spain writes one to two books a year and also numerous screenplays. And she is just, she is a machine, but in the best possible way. Like she works so hard. She achieves so much. It's amazing to see her productivity. And when I was talking earlier about Big Magic and Elizabeth Gilbert's book and Discipline, I just think I am in awe of her and her discipline and her work output. She is, she is really extraordinary. So have you a favorite piece by her? Like I've read all her books and I loved her most recent book, uh, The Last to Disappear, I think it's called. Loved that. Probably my favourite of all her books. Um, but like, it, you know, I've, if you, if any of your listeners haven't tried her yet, her books are brilliant. And then in the meantime, she's working away on all her screenplays as well. So different TV sh- things are dropping every now and then. Um, she wrote the one that was on with Jane Seymour recently. Um, the name is escaping me now, something Harry in the title. Okay. Um, but that was on RTE quite recently. So, yeah, like she just has all these different projects on the go and she's amazing. We'll find out the name and we'll okay. put it in the description <laughs> so that people can can find it and watch it if they're Great. interested. 
what draws you to crime? What what was it that said, okay, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to write about. I think it's two things for me. One is it's always what I read growing up. Mm-hmm. So I loved um, Ruth Rendell and I loved Jeffrey Deaver. And I, of course, Agatha Christie. Everybody <laughs> reads Agatha Christie. Always read crime growing up. But it's also the what if stories that go around in my head. So if I'm, um, say, in my old job, if I was sitting at a meeting mm-hmm. and I'd be thinking, you know, getting a bit distracted if the meeting was going on a lot and I would be thinking, God, imagine now there's that video conference and there's our counterparts in Luxembourg. What would I do if someone broke into that room and they were masked gunmen and they were holding them hostage? Like, would we call the Irish police or would we call the Luxembourg police or how would you go about it? So <laughs> kind of just your mind drifting into these what if scenarios and especially since having kids, of course, mm. because it's all that stuff. Like um, my my 10 year old took the dog for a walk just two days ago and he normally takes the short just walk he possibly can and he was gone for about a half an hour and I went from oh it's great that he's actually taking the dog a little bit further this time to wait why is he gone half an hour he would never voluntarily go <laughs> for this long what wait okay hang on what if and and it's it's ridiculous because nobody is going to kidnap a 10 year old and a dog maybe one or the mm. other but not both of them together in a nice quiet estate in suburban Dublin but at the same time I kind of got into this like oh, okay, I'm going to send my other daughter out just to make sure he's okay and don't let him know we were checking up on him. But so there's always that what if thing. And I think that's what led to writing crime. So you have made being an excessive worrier. Yes. <laughs> an amazing skill because you're an author, you're a crime author. And well, it's, it's a good way to channel it. So yeah. I figure, so I'm, I'm definitely someone who thinks what if this happened and I almost imagine out the worst case scenario in a reverse <laughs> tempt fate way yeah. that if you imagine it out it can't happen it be because it was too specific <laughs> like it would be too much of a coincidence if that exact thing happened so then I just put it away so I don't really worry in any kind of a problematic way yeah. I just quite clinically go what if that happens? Okay, this is what I would do if mm. he was kidnapped and make a plan and send my daughter out to find him and all is fine in the world. So exactly, I've just channeled the worry into something a little bit more useful. Yeah. <laughs> I know you said earlier you read all types of genres. I'm going to move to love. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to necessarily be books, but whatever whatever story you can think of, what is the greatest love story ever told? Like I would have answered previously without thinking, I would have said Wuthering Heights because I absolutely loved it in school. Mm -hmm. It was our InterSearch or Leaving Search book, I can't remember which, and I reread it and reread it and I was so caught up in it and the atmosphere and Heathcliff and Catherine and the whole thing. But then you look back with 21st century adult eyes and go, he was a terrible Mm. person. (laughs) That's a terrible story. So I kind of have to stop myself now and go okay it drew me in at the time and you know isn't that great that a book that is on the curriculum can draw in a 15 or 16 year old and you know make anybody so engaged in a book but it's not a great template for mm. love so I, I was thinking I would pick something much more recent with far less problematic men so two that I loved recently um is uh, one is again Rachel so the relationship between Rachel and Luke Costello because he's so lovely and they're so lovely and nobody had to be mean to anybody and it just it's it's just really good and then the other one is the book I mentioned earlier Book Lovers by Emily Henry so again a really recent one and like 
it, the, the characters like you don't have any kind of horrible man character mm. who is really grumpy and awful but she loves him anyway it, it's like too like funny nice regular I mean okay the guy he is kind of curmudgeonly but he's a good person he's yeah. not a bad person and I suppose maybe that's where we've moved to that the love interest man doesn't have to be a bad person for us to be in love with them yeah. so those those are going to be the the ones I'll give I feel like teenagers now are much more aware of like when men are being problematic so I'd love to hear their take on it in school and in English class now yeah it wasn't yeah. ever something really called out when no, I was in school no, you know? not at all so yeah you're right it w- I must wait and see now if my daughters get to do it in school because it would be really interesting to to see what they would have to say yeah. on it. We had a talk about this recently on the pod. We were just saying, are these types of books things you should take off the curriculum at this point or are they classics? Should they be valued and kept on? Or like, you know, we have so many great modern books. Yeah, like I think in terms of keeping, uh, like I would say the fact that Heathcliff is problematic wouldn't be a reason to take it off because I think you would leave it on but discuss it in with different yeah, eyes and yeah. kind of go, okay, so what do we think about the fact that he did this, this and this and maybe he's not such a nice person. Um, but also, yes, we do have so many modern books and I suppose um, there is always going to be a little bit of snobbery in literature in general and the idea that the classics are the best and that more recently written books couldn't be as good as the classics, mm-hmm. which actually doesn't make any sense at all, because why would people of the past have been so much better at mm. writing books than people of today? Yeah. So there's loads of modern classics um, that would do well to be on a, a curriculum. And maybe they are, like none of my kids are at exam stage yet, mm-hmm. so I don't know what's on the curriculum today. Yeah, you'll have fun talking to them about yeah. all that. I'm sensing you prefer more contemporary books to classics. Like, I loved doing them in school, but I would have rarely reread anything now. Yeah, so I tend to read, I'd say I go back about to the 1960s. I mean, not deliberately, but just books that jump out at me mm-hmm. that I want to read um, tend to be more contemporary. Yeah. Okay. And you're talking about rereading books, you you don't really reread those. If you had to reread a book... Mm-hmm. For the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. What would it be? The Secret History by Donna Tart, which I love that book. And I have an old, very battered copy from when it first came out, which I believe is um, going to be 30 years ago next year. Oh my God, wow. And I just remember loving the book so much at the time. And then I reread it maybe 10 years later and I still have that same battered copy so if Mm -hmm. I can just pick one I'll pick that one. What's it about? So it's about uh, they're kind of like school age college age kids and it's like it's almost like Lord of the Flies everything kind of gets a bit they all get a bit carried away and okay. things go wrong and it's like one of those stories where you get really caught up in it and you know, you're like, OK, I would never do that. And then you're like, yeah, but or would any of us do it in that kind of Lord of the Flies way? If you got caught up in a situation and drink and drugs and all the rest of it, you, you know, none of us knows what we would do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that that one should be on the curriculum. I don't know if it is, but it's really, really good. You've made me want to read it. <laughs> What's your next chapter? Um, well, I I really just want to keep doing what I'm doing. My next book will be out next summer. I want to just keep, um, I'd love to be uh, putting out a book a year and keep going with domestic suspense. And I would never say never to any other type of book. Um, like, as you said earlier, 
you know, a series rather than a standalone or anything like that. Um, my kids, you know, would say, why don't you write a kid's book? And so I would never say never to anything. But for now, I love writing those what if books, um, the d- domestic suspense set in suburbia. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I want to keep doing. Well, I look forward to the next one already. And you can get Hide and Seek in bookshops nationwide now and in the UK as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you on. And best of luck with the new book. Thank you so much. Super. Perfect. That was lovely. Thank you so Amazing. much for that. Thanks so much. You're so good There's so at many this. good uh, book recommendations. You're really good at asking oh God, questions and listening. And sometimes, you know, like I think it's hard to ask questions and I've only done it a very few times, but... I'm sort of getting ready to ask my next question when I should be listening to what because I'm just not practiced enough at I'm it. I'm getting so better at it. Like you're the more really I good. It, like sometimes my brain doesn't connect to my mouth, and you know, <laughs> it's fine. That's why it's it's good that it's a podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of Open Book. You can find Andrea's book Hide and Seek in all Irish retailers, and as always, the books discussed and recommended can be found in the podcast description. You know I hate asking, but it's so important so that we can keep getting great guests on. If you could rate, share and follow us wherever you get your podcasts, it would mean so much. And don't forget, we're doing the book club as well. If you want to get involved, you can get all the information over on Louise's book club on Instagram. If you have any comments, suggestions, recommendations, please email us on openbook at goloudnow.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week.